welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Welcome everyone. I'm Ciel Grove. I'm up in BC as uh, usual and I'm here again with Allison who is in New York City still. How's everything feeling this morning, Allison? Hey, hey. Um, yeah. St- uh, hmm. Still How in your apartment? everything feeling? Still <laughs> in my apartment. Uh-huh. Still, everything's pretty much the, the same. We had one really sunny day yesterday and that was oh, nice. lovely. It makes such a difference. Um, but yeah, same old, same old at this point. Mm-hmm. It's such a bizarre like movement through time right now, I think, where I, like, I was reflecting on just the fact that we started sort of doing this here around like March 15th or something. And uh, I remember at the time thinking like, oh my God, it's almost April. That's crazy. And then April went by and then it was like, whoa, and then May. And it's just, but, and yet it's these bizarre kind of slow days, you know, where there's a repetition, you know, I hear from a lot of people like this kind of groundhog day experience. And yet time is just flying by because there's, there's a lot going on. You know, I I think we're in that high so-called allostatic mode um, zone where like your nervous system is just taking in so much and it's hard to maintain an awareness of time and and perspective and stuff. So yeah, so don't they say that about having little kids where it's like the, the days are slow, but the, the years longest, are fast? shortest time. Oh, especially <laughs> though with a newborn. Yeah. Those of you, I guess I haven't disclosed. I have two kids. I have a three, almost four-year-old and a six-month-old. And the six-month-old is going through the six-month-old sleep regression, which was also the four-month-old and the five-month-old sleep regression. So she has not slept for <laughs> Two months. We're going a little crazy around here. But yeah, it's the longest, shortest time. It's like this bizarre zone where you are, like, it seems so long. The day is so long. And then all of a sudden, she's six months old. You know, it's it's pretty mm. nuts. So this feels a lot like that. I think that immense periods of transformation and recalibration in our lives often feel like that, though. You know, like I definitely in times when I've experienced really intense depression or just really kind of calamitous seemingly calamitous processes or health challenges it does feel like time is going by both simultaneously super slow and then incredibly fast so this too is a a transformative time for sure so we um we I realized this morning uh, that we introduced in the last episode a card. Uh, Allison had pulled the snake and chickweed card, and we had a lot of conversation about it without really talking about um, where it came from. And so this morning I wanted to just offer a little background, a little uh, information for those of you who are not familiar with this deck. This is a deck that I created. Um, I put it out almost a year ago, I guess. Um, It had been a long time in the making. I started doing the drawings in 2012, and I am not known for getting things done quickly sometimes. So seven years later, (laughs) uh, they were completed. And it's an oracle deck, and it's based on the teachings of predominantly my Bolivian shamanic practitioner teacher um, and then a couple other people and lineages that I have worked with and um, I did all the art that's it's called the knowing I'm sure that maybe 
many of you have either encountered it or have one or found this podcast through the website. So um, please, if you're interested, check out, there's a lot of uh, writing on the website to give a little more backstory. But we probably in most of these episodes where Alison and I are having conversations about what's happening in our lives um, are going to access a card and pull one to talk about kind of the energies that are happening right now and then how that reflects on the processes that we're going through. So I uh, hope that feels meaningful for everyone. It feels really meaningful. And Alison this morning pulled um, Hummingbird and it was so funny because she said that and I, I just walked upstairs into our recording studio and uh, my family and I had been sitting downstairs because two days ago, the hummingbirds arrived back. And we are in this northern climate. We still have snow. It's May. And um, everything is pretty. It's getting green, but it's pretty brown. It's pretty gray. It's a fairly dismal landscape. And then all of a sudden, it is like these jewels show up in the sky and outside our window. And we had our feeder ready for them. And it's, we were just sitting there watching them this morning, just amazed. My son loves the hummingbirds. And then, uh, then Allison pulled this card, which is hummingbird and tiger lily. And it felt really good to be able to have a conversation about it. You know, I had one that I haven't yeah. grown up around a lot of hummingbirds or had a lot of personal experiences, but I feel like when I pull this card, which is not often, it's like, you know, you, you kind of pull the same cards over and over again. Totally. And it's like, nope, you're still working on this <laughs> stuff. But, um, <laughs> like I get liver a lot. Oh, uh, interesting. Um, yeah. But whenever I pull this, I think like the one encounter I've had with a hummingbird, I was 17 years old and obviously lived with my mom and mm. I was home alone and there was just something that it was like go open the front door and I'm like I have no idea why I did this but mm. I went to the front door I opened the front door I looked out it must have been like five seconds and a hummingbird just comes right at the front door just in front of my face wow. and it was like that for like a moment because you know they're off to the next thing and then it was gone and it was just like but it was it was exactly like this card where it was just like mm. the most like in the actual sense of the word awesome experience yeah. where it was just like wow it was like it was just magic and it was yeah. special and it felt like a little secret and totally and so in my very limited hummingbird experience I think about that and I'm like yeah. oh god yeah can we get more of that yeah. energy in our lives totally well and and the the teaching of the card the teaching of hummingbird medicine is this external reminder of awe of this unbelievable magic and beauty. I mean, really just standing at the window this morning, looking at their tiny little bodies and these like un the, the flashes of color on their throat and the the speed that they're moving and but they're just they're perfect little packages of magic. And their teaching is to remember that the joy, the experience of joy and the experience of awe is available to us all the time and it is an inside job. And I mean, they are easy to find awe for, easy to appreciate because they're just so perfect. But their teaching is you have this available to you all the time. You have to cultivate an appreciation for beauty, for magic, for joy, you know, and see it as something that is your birthright. And they really, I, I talk to a lot of people about, you know, the emergence of hummingbird medicine in their lives. And several people have recounted to me, Alison, something like what you describe, you know, of, of feeling really kind of low and then having this 
just inclination to look at the window all of a sudden. And then a a hummingbird just like pops up, looks at them and then (laughs) flies away, you know? And they're just like, it's like they're just showing up and going, hello, like wake up. Life is so beautiful. And, and tiger lily is, I mean, definitely a flower that, that stimulates the same sort of response in me. Have you ever interacted with tiger lilies, the wild tiger lilies? Um, I've I've seen them, but haven't really well, yeah. given them much thought, to be honest. Yeah, they're it's again not necessarily I mean, a flower I'm drawn to. Right, right. They're again in this sort of northern climate. We have a lot of um, wildflowers up here, and they're they're vivid. Like they're the color of them is crazy. We have lupins that are you know this amazing purple color, and then paintbrush that are this bright bright fire engine red, and then these tiger lilies that are bright orange, and and. The, the explosion of flowers here in the springtime is incredible. And obviously this deck um, is influenced by my own personal experience and interaction with nature. And so these two things really are kind of the quintessential flashes of joy and beauty. And when they show up here, it's like this awakening. You go, oh, now I can be happy. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. that's what I experience with both of them. And yet there the medicine is like, this is always available to you, even when it is gray and brown and kind of blah, you know, you can <laughs> find something to have awe for and, and within. And, and that's the, the practice that they call us to. I um, was very obsessed with hummingbirds when I was a kid and we always had a hummingbird feeder and I would dress in head to toe red and I would put on my mom's red leather gloves and I would stand perfectly still at the feeder and put my hand (laughs) over top of the little place. I I have a weird bird thing, like anyone who knows me fairly well, I, I love birds and they speak to me a lot. Um, and I would wait with my hand out like that until they trusted me enough that I could grab them and I hold the hummingbirds and I just like walk around with them and I I hope no one out there thinks I'm terribly cruel for doing this because when you hold them their hearts don't beat super fast they don't like it's not like a rabbit yeah they they actually calm down quite a bit they're just like in your hand and then you open your hand and they fly away and then they'll be back like two minutes later because they're not they're not scared I never hurt them of course but but I'd spend a lot of time doing that and it was just constant joy and so I I think Mm -hmm. that you know, this reminder of it. Did it feel good to have that card show up for you this morning? Hmm. That's tough to answer. I do feel like the, I I feel like this, there's almost a sadness that comes with pulling that like joy card Mm. because very often do you pull that card or that kind of energy when you are already in that state that it's just like, "Mm, yes, this is confirming I'm a perfectly happy person and I think that (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's like it it, there's a sadness that comes with it because it's like I think I certainly want to I think we all want to feel that way and Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of heartbreak that it's like but I don't I -hmm. I don't feel that right now and Mm -hmm. it's like it, it comes in like sparks I guess and flashes we get moments but it's it's really hard I think especially with everything going on now to just not feel a little down or like um immobile and so the lightness of a hummingbird feels very foreign right and it's interesting I mean I think the the application of medicine and you know I use that term very broadly here um, like hummingbird that says hey find joy find beauty find awe remember that this is you know your birthright it is available to you in all moments 
I think it is very easy for us to get into um, thinking that therefore our sad or our low or not particularly joyful and off feelings are wrong in the moment and that we should somehow, I mean, I think what I heard and what you were saying, Alison, is like that I should be able to just snap my fingers and, and skip into this like joyful place and somehow like get rid of the feelings that I'm having right now. Am I hearing that correctly? Right. Yes, or even just like, oh, well, I'm not grateful for how amazing mm-hmm. life is because mm-hmm. I still feel like garbage, basically. Mm-hmm. That it's like, oh, I'm, un- I'm ungrateful on top of it. Totally. <laughs> like, I'm not appreciating how beautiful this world is. Yeah, and- yeah I am a piece of shit, like 100% because I'm sad <laughs> yes. and now I know that I should be happy and therefore I'm, yes. you know, incapable of actually doing anything. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is, I, our mind... Our, our ego mind, our, our wounded mind is going to find all potential opportunities to make ourselves feel bad, right? So we can take even, you know, the practice of gratitude, which I hear from people all the time as you say, well, okay, let's practice gratitude. And then they use it as a means of shaming themselves, right? To go, oh, see, right. I can't even be grateful. Like, Jesus, I'm I'm absolutely irredeemable, right? And. Right. The complexity of applying this medicine, it cannot be applied with the intention of getting rid of what is already present. And this is a very different way, I think, that shamanic medicine and what I experience in a lot of more traditional healing modalities and lineages, the way that they approach healing is that it's not, here's this bad thing, how do we get rid of it? Right. Which is Mm -hmm. when you think about how kind of Western medicine frames healing a lot of the time, it's like, oh, you have this bad symptom. You have this wrong thing happening. Now we need to take this drug, do this practice, whatever. And we're going to get rid of that. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. a really like you think about the psychology of that is like we're constantly finding things that are wrong. Right? We're, we're trying right. to figure out what needs to be extracted or, you know, placated or removed in some functional way, right? And we'll do anything to get rid of that uncomfortable thing. Now, we are, I, I know, so much more complex than that as beings. We don't need to be thinking in terms of a... Um, zero-sum kind of game, right? Where you're saying, okay, well, we're either happy or we're sad that we can actually be both of those things at the same time and that we can practice being a good host and friend in a sense to the so-called negative emotions like feeling down, feeling locked in, feeling fearful, feeling you know unsure of what's happening. And at the same time, we can engage a part of our mind that says, oh, but there's beauty in the world. Can I just let myself enjoy that for a moment, right? I don't mm-hmm. need to use the, the you know, call to that medicine as a means to beat myself up, I think, which is, is pretty easy for us to do. We've been, again, conditioned into this system that says when you're feeling something, quote unquote, bad, then you need to, in order to heal, you need to get rid of that bad feeling. And you don't. It's a process of elimination, I think, in in real healing. And it's, you know, on a neurobiological level, it's like you're training your brain gradually to like a different neurological loop, right, than what it's been conditioned into. So it's not seeking you know, bad feelings or, or looking at things through a negative lens, it's it's gradually going to see beauty more and more, right? But that's not going to mean you don't have the other feelings. Does that all make sense? Ish, where it's mm-hmm. like, I've, I've, I think, 
think I understand that it's like holding more than one thing at a time, but how do you also let the full expression of each, like it's kind of Mm -hmm. like you're almost never fully one or the other because you're both. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in actual practice though, you will sometimes feel fully in the sadness, you know, and allow ourselves. And the sadness sticks around because we don't ever feel it fully, right? Where it's coming up and then we're immediately trying to find ways to get away from it or find some, you know, reason not to feel sad. And so I think that you will, I know that you will end up, you know, feeling some days like, oh my God, I'm just totally in it. I'm in the sadness. And that's part of a a reclamation, a soul retrieval process that I think every person has to go through where they go, okay, this is old emotion that I haven't let myself feel. It's been here since I was two, you know, and now I'm going to let myself feel it fully. And those are, those are dark times and they're pretty scary encounters, but, um, that does happen beyond that point though. I mean, we can be grateful for, being sad, as crazy as that seems, we can be grateful for being uncomfortable. I mean, the the teachings of my um, Bolivian teacher, you know, when we do ceremony work, we create this protective circle around us. And sometimes um, I did a lot of ceremonies with her down in San Francisco. So we, we were those like weird people, like chanting and doing strange things in Golden Gate Park. And people are walking by being like, what is going on there? And I was so embarrassed. Like, it was like, definitely not ready to be doing that. And she'd be like, just ignore people, you know, and she's like, digging holes in the ground. I'm like, isn't this illegal? Like lighting fires in Golden Gate Park? So we would sometimes. It's so funny because it's like you picture this being this like really private, oh like, totally nighttime experience. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just like, no, just yeah, in the no. It was in in the middle of go- one day we were doing it. This is a total aside, but we were do- doing this this ceremony, and these like three. I think there was three of them, super trashed, like twenty year old boys come like just stumbling into this like glade in in it, Golden Gate Park is immense, you know, and so you can find these places where you're pretty hidden. And we were down in this like kind of mystical feeling zone. And then all of a sudden there's like these three rowdy like dude boys, dude bros there, you know, like, <laughs> hey, what are you chicks doing? You know, and, and like trying to explain to them, like, please go away. Like we're in the middle of magic right now. You know, like it was, it was and they, they would not leave us alone. They were just like circling around going, this looks so cool, you know. And anyways, so when we do these ceremonies, though, Sometimes we do them down at uh, Ocean Beach in the sand. So you dig a, a hole or a circle, excuse me, in the sand. Um, and Or in Golden Gate Park, we would build a circle either with um, stones or you'd, and then you'd smudge and, and do all of these ceremonial practices to enclose the ceremony. And the reason that in, in her lineage, the reason that you do that is because all of the spirits and all of the dimensions and energies that are always around us, you know, in uh, in sort of a strange way, inaccessible way in many ways, uh, when you open up a ceremonial space, when you light candles, a lot of lineages recognize that you are inviting energies to be able to connect with yours, which is part of the reason you, you do mm-hmm. ceremony. But all of these energies around us want nothing more 
than to be able to be human and to have feelings. Because in most of the dimensional experiences that they uh, exist in, they don't feel hunger. They don't feel sadness. They don't feel love. There's, you know, the ever-present awareness of oneness, which, you know, when you have it, you're not even aware that you have it. And and that's where they exist a lot of the time, and, and or all of the time. And so they don't feel what we feel. And they want nothing more than to attach themselves to us and, and experience what it feels like to be sad. And when I heard that, for whatever reason, just knowing that made me value my human incarnation so much that the possibility of being simultaneously deeply sad and also joyful became possible, right? That it was right. not... You no longer feel like there are bad and good emotions, that there are, you know, ways that you want to be all the time. You're not, in the Buddhist sense, you know, attached to this idea of perpetual happiness, nor are you averse to, you know, the so-called dark or unpleasant experiences. And there's a, an equanimity that emerges where you can entertain all of these things as they happen, right? Mm -hmm. And the... The evolutionary underpinnings of how our brain processes experience are a little bit daunting when you actually like really get into them because our brain loves negativity and supposedly loves yes. it five times more than it loves positivity. And there's an evolutionary reason for that. Obviously, you know that if you're a caveman and you you are looking out at the world and you know processing your experience and you miss seeing a beautiful sunset you know your brains um doesn't prioritize that you know especially at times when we are feeling unsafe or things might eat us because it's not actually going to make much change in your life and certainly whether or not your genes are contributed to the next generation if you miss a good sunset. If you miss a saber-toothed tiger trying to eat you, you are definitely <laughs> right. going to be you know, suffering the consequences of that. So the brain says look for potential threats all the time. And the more trauma we have and the less connected we are to our body, the more that a brain does that, the more that it seeks the negative. And it loves it. it. I mean, how much does your brain love negative, Allison, when you think about what it likes to go into? Oh, my God. It's just a constant. Constant. Yeah. Just, like, it's, yeah. it's instant. It's like a bowling ball going into the gutter, hey? Like, over and over. I mean... It, it wants to do that and it thinks it's protecting you. It's not that we are messed up. Every brain does this, right? But we need to claim authority, you know, in a sense over that process and say, okay, I'm going to consciously realign my brain with faith, with joy, with love, with the appreciation of beauty, with expressions of gratitude. And we can reprogram ourselves basically, right? But it, it takes... Right consistent work and and dedication to that goal because there is a severe imbalance in how much our brain is going to want to do that right versus stay stuck in the in the pessimism and the negativity yes well i feel like oh that's the that's the tough stuff that's coming up is because it's mm -hmm. like where i am in i guess both paths is learning about negativity bias and seeing it for what it is, but still being so in it that it's kind mm -hmm. of like, yeah, logically mm -hmm. I get that, but I also am still, uh, nothing's clicked into place as far as like, um, like you were saying, riding earlier, riding the wave and kind of being right. Right. this unshakable force. Not that things don't affect you, but that you're, 
um, not knocked off your center so easily. And so right. it's kind of like, I, I, like I, I don't know, the feeling is, is that it's like, I can recognize both feelings, but mm-hmm. I still feel so swept away by both. And I think mm-hmm. that it's like, um, I don't know, this, this idea that we're not supposed to, like equanimity is a word that it's like, oh, we're not supposed to, quote, supposed to have these mood swings. We're not supposed to be vacillating from right. one side to the other. But I think that I am naturally a person that vacillates a lot. And maybe that's like some, like, I think I'm the only one and really we all are people that vacillate a lot. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a common experience. But sometimes it does feel like just getting swept to and fro. Totally. And that, the interesting thing, the I think the underlying reality of being swept to and fro between so-called negative and positive emotional experiences is that we are not actually fully experiencing either. When the positive is happening, we're anticipating a negative, and when the negative is happening, we're resisting it (laughs) entirely, right? So we're not actually going into either of them. So the practice of befriending and normalizing emotions so that we reduce aversion and clinging, right? Where we just say, this is the human experience. And and there's so much to say in this because the, the idea that equanimity means that we are not ever sad or happy or going to one side, that's completely erroneous in my books because we are mm-hmm. going to continue having emotional experiences. And uh, this is what I hear, I've always heard from my teachers, you know, that there is something in us that emerges, and I would call this the knowing, you know, or this this grounded state within us, where we realize that we do not have to entirely affiliate our sense of self with the emotional mind. So it's, you know, mm. in Buddhism, we talk about like we've we've become the observer, right? We We take our seat and we can see that we are going through an experience, but it is not us, right? You, it's the whole analogy of like, oh, there's waves happening, you know, oh, here's joy coming along. You are not the wave, you are the ocean, right? And so you experience it as something happening or the, the analogy of being the sky, not the weather, right? The weather happens, but you're not the weather. And you don't have to stop the weather either. And it's impossible. I mean, when are we ever gonna have a sky without weather or an ocean without waves, right? That concept, uh, even that idea that we could achieve that state, I think is is rather absurd, you know, when you really think about it. We're here to be human. We're here to have these emotions, right? But it's doing enough practice so that we can pull our conscious awareness mind out of being the weather, right? We don't want to be buffeted about like that of, oh my God, now it's cloudy and it's raining and it's sunny and like, oh, I'm all over the place. But (laughs) we we don't want to stop it either. And we don't want to try to get rid of it, right? So how do we befriend it? And one of the ways that um, I feel saved me, you know, and and especially in my 20s, I was deeply depressed and really heavily medicated for like every possible psychological condition at the time. And I encountered a Buddhist psychiatrist um, and he gave me the practice of along with a whole bunch of medications, he gave me the practice of Tonglen. 
Mm-hmm. In Tonglen, uh, I think we've practiced, or we've talked about this before, haven't we, Alison? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tonglen is a very ancient Tibetan practice. It's believed to maybe have actually emerged out of the Bon tradition, which came, it predates uh, Buddhism. And it means, the word means to send and to receive, or to give and take, basically. And it is a way of cultivating our ability to sit with the suffering that is life. And I know people see Buddhism as this like ultimately kind of uh, almost pain loving system of thought, you know, (laughs) where it starts with like, hey, everything's suffering. But the reality is it is suffering. It's we are only here for a short time and we we lose everything we love, including ourselves and we we suffer. And it's okay to start with that point where it does not make us pessimistic. I think it makes us deeply realistic and able to encounter life well. But Tonglen, the purpose of it is to move towards our so-called suffering and befriend it and use it as the means to move ourselves into compassion and loving kindness and presence in the world. And the way that we do this is we think of someone, and there's several steps, and we're probably not going to get into them today, um, but you, you think of someone who is suffering, and you imagine that their suffering has a kind of energetic quality. This is the way that I practice it anyways. And and that there's maybe a color, you know, that they're weighted down by this like dark gray mass and it's heavy and you see it in them and innervating their whole being. And on your in-breath, you consciously breathe their suffering into yours. And you say, let me take this in, you know, and, and we become alchemists in this process where we are taking in this kind of shitty stuff and transmuting mm-hmm. it in our own mind. And on the outbreath, we send love and peace and light and sometimes like a blue light as well work with. But we, we practice moving on the breath, sending and taking on the breath as a means of moving towards suffering to say, I can handle suffering. I can handle sadness, right? I can befriend it. I can see it as a normal part of this human experience. And in doing this, you know, eventually we not only develop this incredible sense of our own capacity to heal both ourselves and other people, but also we stop resisting the so-called negative emotions, right? Which we actually are doing when we're fully indulging in it. I mean, when I was in a depressed, quote unquote, depressed state, it wasn't because I had so much sadness. It was because I was resisting my sadness and I was keeping it pushed down. It was rotting me from the inside, literally, you know? And so only when I could sit with it and welcome it and, and engage with it, you know, rather than trying to pretend it wasn't there, could I heal? It's not right. that we have too much of an emotion. It's it's that we are not experiencing it fully. Make sense? It does make sense. And I think that a part of that fear is tied to, in a really weird way, a part of lack of community. And I think right. that totally it feels really highlighted now because it's like if I allow myself to sink into what this is mm-hmm. and there's nobody to help pull me mm-hmm. out of it, will mm-hmm. I ever come back? And it's right. kind of like in a logical conscience, conscious sense, it's like, well, yes, of course, uh, maybe, <laughs> at least for me, I'm like, yeah, of course, I'll probably like ride through this. But mm-hmm. there is an element that it's like, what if this is so deep and dark that if I mm-hmm. really allow myself to go there, then like, who's going to help me back out of this well? Totally. Well, it's when if we think about where our our ego, right, and the associated pain body with the ego originated, it originated in childhood when we 
were not self-reliant. We could not be. We were entirely dependent upon very tall, tyrannical figures in our life who just made us do shit all the time, you know, like, and we had to figure out how to please them. And that's why we developed the ego is to say, okay, mom and dad don't like it when I'm sad. So I have to banish my sadness in order to be loved, in order to be safe and, and taken care of, right? We all do this. This is part of coming to the earth plane. And so when we have um, an awareness in our adult experience to say, okay, I want to make friends with my sadness, say, and we start feeling it, your pain body is going to say, Allison, you cannot go in there or no one's going to love you. No one's going to find you again. No one's going to catch you in this. And you're going to go into this and it is so bad down there that you're never coming out. And that's what our brain programs in order to keep us away from these ideas of, of who we're not allowed to be, right? You're not allowed to right. be that person. And the reclamation, I mean, as much as the, the sangha, the family, the community, this is all very important and and as we were discussing in the first episode, I mean, as in some strange, distant way, you know, hoping that this offering feels like that for people, that it's more of like yeah. seeing other people going through a similar experience. I mean, that's what I feel is community is going, oh, I'm, I'm held by the fact that I, I see myself in these people or I resonate with what's happening for them and with them. And, but ultimately it is our ourselves you know we we cannot nobody's going to hold our hands perfectly through this this process right in the shamanic tradition i mean that is there's what shaman the word means is is she actually who sees in the dark and it's someone who's mm -hmm. said to hold your hand as you walk into the darkness of you know going into who you don't know you are or what parts of yourself you have you know lost but she can't walk you the whole way you have to go part of it yourself, right? Nobody can be there when we're doing this process, which sounds terrifying, but the the reality, the power that we gain through doing it on our own is the purpose, right? Where we gain that sense of, of authority and knowing within ourselves to say, nothing is too scary for me. Now I am fearless, right? And, and especially for the purposes of this conversation, when it comes to feeling my own emotions. Right. right. So we would do the Tonglen practice. Mm -hmm. Specifically, if I can say for a second, with Tonglen, sometimes we can do, I mean, what I'll call, I don't know if Pema Chodron references this practice a lot, and so do Chogyan Trumpa and the Shambhala lineage. Um, but I'll do like a reverse Tonglen. So I'll say, I am feeling this feeling which I'm not allowing to be felt fully because part of me is resisting feeling it, right? And that's where a lot of the mm -hmm. discomfort actually comes from. So say, you know, I'm feeling um, low, right? I'm feeling sad. And I will say, okay, I can, I can acknowledge that I'm feeling this sadness. Let me now, and it's kind of, we call it soul linking in shamanic practice, but kind of soul linking with like, hey, I bet there's about... Mm, let's say 7 billion other people who might be feeling this feeling right now, right? And especially in this, you know, global collective experience that we're having right now, you can be damn well assured that somebody, a lot of people are probably feeling something similar to what you're feeling. But at any given time, there's going to be a, a few billion people also experiencing that sensation. And you say, let me link with those people 
and breathe in their sadness and see that, you know, I'm sharing this experience with them and let me be medicine for them. But you see that we're not trying to get rid of the sadness. We're actually cultivating a healthy and welcoming, befriending relationship with that energetic structure, you know, that that frequency, right? And mm-hmm. as we do that, we're telling ourselves, it's okay for me to be sad. There's no aversion in it. And I also have the ability to sit with sadness, the strength to transmute it into love and kindness and peace and whatever else we turn it into, right? Right. When you first introduced me to this practice, I remember something that was like, oh, like a clench for me around it or like a fear for me around it, which I feel like Mm. would be nice to clarify Mm -hmm. is that you're not like taking on or sucking in people's. (laughs) Okay, so can you? We'll we'll get that. We'll get to that, that practice, like maybe five years down the road of like actually sucking in people's stuff. <laughs> you you really don't want to do that shit. It's like quite. It's awful. Like you're you're gonna. I mean, anyone who's have you read the Arinda, Allison? Um, no, Boyden. He's in a Canadian author's just an amazing book, but it's. Um, based on a lot of the journals from the Jesuit priests that came over to convert and save the indigenous people of the, especially the East coast of Canada and the United States, I think in like the 1600s, 1700s. Um, but then it's this, it, the, each chapter sort of oscillates between either offering the rep, the um, experience of the indigenous people versus the Jesuit priests. And, and then the Jesuit priest's perspective on what the indigenous people were doing and, and a lot of hmm. what their medicine people were doing, you know, when they do these these ceremonies where they would suck the sickness or the whatever energy out of people and then they would be like throwing up blood and, you know, just super intense. I mean, indigenous oh traditions have a lot of, yeah, this is not part of my practice, <laughs> but no, <laughs> we're not taking somebody else's stuff into us you know we are again this concept of transmutation i say to people sometimes that we are transmutation stations because we take things in and we turn them into something else this is the gift of of being an alchemist as a human being you know we take food and we turn it into energy we take sunlight and we turn it into energy and and hormonal balance and all sorts of stuff right we are we're constantly like a plant or any other organism in the world constantly taking things in and turning them into something else and so it's it's that we engage with this as being a process not okay step one is I take this person's shit into my body okay gonna leave that there <laughs> we'll just put that in a nice little box so that it can rot put it inside in my of yeah totally I can like throw it at other people when they piss me off you know no we're not storing this literally it's not something we keep it is a process and a and a you know engagement again with welcoming what we would normally not welcome and befriend And then Mm -hmm. seeing that that is the basis of compassion. When we feel our stuff fully, then we we can look at other people and go, oh, God, you have it too. And it's hard, right? It's hard being sad. It's hard having self-doubt. It's hard not knowing your place in the world, you know? And this is this, I mean, the foundation of, of Maitri, loving kindness, you know, it's the foundation of 
bodhisattva work, the, the kindness, loving warrior, you know, who just wants mm-hmm. to help everybody. And it's the foundation of, of real happiness, you know. And, and it's in that we're not trying to get rid of somebody else's stuff either. You're not, it's not like you've got a, you know, straw and you're sucking all of it off of them. You're just saying, <laughs> right, no one me. else needs to feel this. <laughs> totally, totally, just put it into me. No, we're not being <laughs> martyrs. There's zero martyrdom in this process, right? You're you're saying let me take some of that and and sh- let's join this let's let's come together in our suffering and I believe that the unification that we experienced through this process for me was it was so immense like I I would sit on the bus on the way to university and I'd be crying and super heavily medicated and kind of out of my mind in every possible way. And I remember seeing this man who had a cane. He was quite a big man, obviously in a lot of pain. He was like in out of breath walking up the stairs and he sat down in his seat. And I hadn't done this practice yet. And just at that moment, my mind was like, try it, just try it, you know. And I just imagined this person's pain and I breathed it into myself. And I, you know, I at that point was so resistant to my own pain, you know, that I was like, I can't do this. This is incredibly crazy and like, this is wrong. And the release and the love that I felt for that person who is also suffering in that moment, you know, like mm. it healed something in me. And I would do it on the bus every time I went to school, you know, back and forth, trying to like alleviate this this disconnect I felt from the emotion itself. And that's what it is, right? Again, this feeling of right. I don't like sadness. I would just want it to go away. And it, this is what our Western medical system presents to us too, is like these feelings are bad or wrong or... You know, right. they're, they're symptoms that there's something awry and they're not. And resisting them does not make them go away, right? Right. I think it's funny because I think that the path for a lot of people who do healing work, feel like they have healing energy, there is this thing of like, oh, I just want everyone else to feel better. Totally. And then when you feel bad, you're like, I have no idea what to do. What could possibly <laughs> make me feel better in this moment? Yeah. I mean, we, we are... Uh, I mean, understandably, you know, our brain wants easy happiness, right? It wants to just know that everything's going to be good. And the number of times I, I couldn't possibly begin to estimate how many times people will come into a session and say, you know, after our last session, I felt so good. And then, you know, a couple days later, I felt really bad and I feel really sad that like it didn't last. And I'll actually go like, shit, I, I don't think I'm supposed to make you feel good. You know, like <laughs> I think I'm supposed to make you feel aware of, of where you're not able to connect with yourself, which often doesn't feel particularly good. You know, I mean, my teacher, I don't remember her making me feel good a lot of the time. You know, she would sometimes do this process where she'd come over to my house and she'd say, okay, I'm taking something. And it was always stuck in my spine, but she'd say, I'm taking something out of your spine. You have 48 hours and this will be gone, but 48 hours for you to remember what it feels like to not have this energy in your being. And then you're going to call it back because healing is not taking away something, right? We, we can't do that. That's, I, I think it's, you know, even these traditional indigenous perspectives of somebody sucking something out of someone, we call our pain back. We want it. It's familiar to us, right? It's, it's what we know. Right. And so she's like, within 48 hours, you will call it back. And sure enough, like I'd have two days where I wouldn't binge eat because I was a crazy binge eater and I wouldn't have any bad feelings and I just feel so good and then it would go mm. away and I'd be like like I just want that back but she's like it's your job 
You have to figure out how to make peace and work with these energies. You know, somebody can't just take them away, right? And right. in our culture, again, we've been conditioned into believing that, that somebody can just take this away or a drug can take it away or, you know, some experience. We can go to a ceremony and then it'll be gone. And it doesn't work right. like that. And at least in my, my work. So how did you learn to remind yourself? <laughs> <laughs> You have twenty uh, seconds. Go. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I mean, it's it's such a interesting thing. I had a client recently actually say to me, she's like, I think I should, you know, start writing down how I'm healing because I want to be able to tell people like the steps and like the, you know, processes that I went through so that I can help other people go through it. And I mean, every person's process is so distinct and and unique to them. Um, but I, I think in a general sense, it was. Uh, reconnecting where things were disconnected in, in such a you know blanket statement to, to make, but reconnecting with my body, you know, I mean, that was a huge thing for me as someone with eating disorders and a really antagonistic relationship with my physical form, you know, like yoga was huge of just going, can I love my body? I need to practice loving it, not trying to beat it into submission or seeing it as somehow flawed. And then connecting with my mind, right? And positive psychology can be really beneficial, you know, contemporary psychological work and, and looking at the way that your your mind is processing stuff, journal work, blah, blah, blah. There's so many different tools. Well, I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. explore at different times. Um, reconnecting to bring it full circle with where we started today with um, magic and joy, you know, and and consciously seeing beauty, and this was something I didn't even realize I did all the time, but like challenging myself when I saw someone, instead of seeing what I didn't like about them, which again, your brain wants to do. It, it loves that. It thinks that it makes you superior to someone else if you can see what you don't like in them. And, right. you know, consciously saying, okay, I have to seek beauty. I'm going to seek it. And eventually, you know, could see it in my own reflection, you know, and and not because I look a certain way or my body was behaving a certain way, but just because I'm here, right? You see magic. And so it's it's creating those reconnections. And there was a lot of soul retrieval work, and I really look forward to doing some some conversations, exploring some conversations, because it's like it's the the core practice of of shamanic work, you know, is recognizing how fragmented we truly are and that healing is this process of calling those pieces back. But we're always doing that. I mean, with the work that we've been discussing today in Tonglen, we call back the part of us that is sad. And we've been banishing her for our entire adult lives, probably telling her that she just needs to like buck up and stop being a whiner, right? And (laughs) that's, you know, that's how we relate to certain parts of ourselves, right? Yeah, it's like that great movie, um, Inside Out. That's what you just yeah. reminded me of. Totally. Have you seen that where there's yeah. sadness or whatever, and it's just like, oh god, she's it's her again. Yeah. But What's she doing? Yeah, here? I think there there is this uh, like allowance of mm-hmm. that that person, that part of me can exist, and it doesn't make me bad, and it doesn't. No, and it I is the foundation of being connected to other people, because whatever mm. we disavow in ourselves will create a space and disconnection from every other person, right? If right. we, I mean, as Walt Whitman said, you know, I, I contain multitudes, which I read in terms of like a, 
an emotional sense, you know, that I can be, I, I'm going to have all of these feelings. I am lonely and jealous and bitter and envious and everything, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. I feel it at some point. Our ego mind will often say like, yeah, but you know, you're not as bad as that idiot over there, you know, like they're totally <laughs> <Yeah>. messed. <laughs> and, or like, oh my God, you're so much worse than everybody else and you're a disaster, yeah. right? It, it picks one uh, side or the other to beat ourselves up with, right? But when we re work with, you know, reclaiming these energies and, and saying, and, and again, regarding the hummingbird card, we don't think that we're allowed to have this, like, it is childlike joy that I feel when I see a hummingbird, right? It's just this, mm -hmm. like, what watching my almost four-year-old, you know, he's just odd. Like, how are they flying like that? How is this even possible? Why are they that color? You know, like, it's, there's so much magic in it. And our, you know, sort of ego, so-called, it thinks it's mature mind, says, like, don't do that. Like, you're ridiculous. You know, grow up. This is, the life is serious and you need to get a job and blah, blah, blah. You know, and we don't <laughs> think that we're allowed to just have that. It's, we reclaim that feeling, you know, and that's, it's done carefully, just like reclaiming sadness, right? Mm. Yeah, that feels good. I hope people listening also feel a little relief. It is so magical, you know, the number of conversations I've heard in the last while, um, just about you know emotional intelligence this is really what we're dancing around but but um you know Gary Zukav's work from like the 90s and he talks about you know this process that we're going through of reconnecting with our soul selves right and living from our soul selves and the soul speaks to us through emotion and that you know when you really think about that and say okay so if I am going to connect with my soul self everyone talks about like being their higher self it is actually allowing for the full human experience of these emotions to move through us and to to engage with them fully in in neither an aversive or clinging way and and it's not just like being happy or enlightened so-called enlightened all the time I mean I, I had a um, a woman I worked with, I don't think I've spoken to her or about her yet. She was, her name was Palmo Youngchop and she was a Tibetan holy woman. She ran the Palmo Peace Center, I think in Eugene, Oregon, amazing teacher. And she, you know, was recognized by the Dalai Lama as like supremely enlightened and just like unbelievable woman. And, uh, she, her favorite thing was to tell me how, pissed off she got at her husband all the time you know she's just like he's so annoying like and he lovingly you know and she was just like but I think presenting that you know that you're still gonna be no matter I think how enlightened you are I mean this woman was out of this world you know but you're still a human being you know and and that's yeah. that's our job here is not to transcend and become this I mean I think what we associate with equanimity this like you know, constant state of, of, um, I don't know. I mean, when you think about it, is there just like an absence of emotion? Yeah. There like this neutrality. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just like, I don't want to go through life lacking passion. And although I'd mm -hmm. love to go through life with a little less mood swings and I'm sure mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. my boyfriend would also appreciate that. <laughs> it, uh, I, it's like, I don't want to, I, I still want to love hard and be passionate and feel yeah. things deeply. And it feels like you're releasing a little bit of like sensual pleasure to yeah. be like, and I feel like we have all, 
encountered people where it's like, oh, I don't feel anything anymore. I'm spiritual. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, yeah. well, I'm never going to get there. Yeah. No, and, and I don't want to be there. That's a and I don't place I, exactly. I do not desire to inhabit at all. And I mean, my husband thinks I'm batshit crazy most days because I'm like laughing while I'm crying and I'm like so sad. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, he's like, what is this? You know, and, and it is... I think, I mean, maybe I'm just nuts, you know, and just a disclaimer to everybody <laughs> listening, just take it with a grain of salt because I might be crazy. But um, it is, you know, the joy in in seeing the weather. I mean, again, to use that analogy, like you wake up and you go, it's raining, cool, or it's right. sunny, yay, you know, like, and, and we can be happy about all the things happening not because we're like trying to be happy but because we are meeting what is and going yeah this is the weather today like I mean it <laughs> I think we talked about this in the last podcast but the day that Mercury I think moved into Aries I had no idea this was actually happening but I woke up in the morning I looked at my husband and I was like I am so angry like I was just like and and kind of <laughs> loving it you know I was like I'm gonna fight with people in my head today you know this is gonna be super fun <laughs> But it was also like being able to maintain a seat of awareness and say, what is going on right now? Like, you know, did you have that bad of a sleep or like that it's you're not fully lost in the weather. You can still see that it is an experience that's happening. And there is there's pleasure in that, you know, like I, I don't I don't think that aspiring to that, you know, vacuum of emotions kind of state is is healthy for people. I think it, it sets us up with constant disappointment. It does, obviously, because then every time something shows up, you're like, shit, I thought I was done with this, you know, like, right. I've dealt with this, haven't I, you know? But, I mean, we don't try to get rid of the energies. We don't try to minimize the the emotional experiences we try to solidify the alignment and the seat and the the witness consciousness so that then when those things happen they are energies that are moving through us and they are an affirmation of how beautiful it is to be here just like joy you know and again it seems so strange to say like but as we talked about on a biological level, we don't like joy. We're not good with it. We don't actually think that we deserve it. And we think that, you know, our brain says, no, you need to be anticipating what shit is coming your way, you know, instead of focusing on the beauty of a hummingbird. And it, it's totally. the card is like, you can do that and, and you'll be okay. You know, it's, you can transform that part of your brain to trust that magic is, is here. and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipmic people. All music, editing and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. <laughs>